1: Welcome to Light Years, Andy Lou. we were recording this Wednesday afternoon. We were watching currently Phillies up 20-6 to 6 in the first quarter, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. The NBA made it official, Nikola Jokic, the MVP of the league, the first Serbian-born MVP, the lowest-drafted MVP. Honestly, I, I want to talk about Jokic for one quick second before we get into Steph, who finished third. Mm. Pretty cool uh, to see a second round pick, a player who I don't know. I remember watching Jokic when he was a backup to Nurkic, and you know he was kind of a nice little player, and you thought he could be better, but at no point did I think he was going to turn an MVP. And I, I don't know how you feel. I mean, I thought one, I knew he was going to win, but two, I feel like he was also incredibly deserving. Yes, without a doubt. I I don't think anybody argued whether he was deserving or not, which is cool. Like I think that was one of the cool things about the season is that everybody is pretty aligned and said Nikola Jokic is did, was the best player in the regular season this season. Also, uh objectively, if if you know you're a hardcore NBA fan and you've watched a lot of basketball this season, he was one of the most fun players to watch. Um we're gonna to get to Steph, obviously, but Nikola Jokic was right there. it's just—he is special offensively. I, I think he's probably the best passer in the NBA right now. Um, he's I looking a, to pass. He's a great shooter for the size, right? Great post-up guy. Like he's not flopping a, a, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say fantastic. I have, I have a take. I think Steph is undoubtedly the best offensive player in the NBA. I think Jokic is the second best. I think he's better than LeBron. I think he's better than. Well, there's KD. I think he's better than KD in terms of getting his team going. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, I see your point. I hear what you're saying. But, like, let's be real. Composo, Austin Mm. Rivers. I love Aaron Gordon, but Aaron Gordon, you're seeing the difference in terms of uh, an MVP makes because Aaron Gordon now looks. Like a superstar, you know, looks like a star. Even my guy, MPJ, I mean, that guy is a lights out shooter, but it reminds me so much of like, you know, we love Clay around these parts, but like, how's Clay look as a first option, right? Maybe, maybe MPJ is a little similar in that regard where it's like, how's he look as a first option? I think Jokic is just. You know, we we can talk about the defensive shortcomings and if you can build around him, but like the dude just makes so many marginal players playable. That's basically what it comes down to. And like you give him a semi-competent team, he's getting them to a top four seed every year. I think he's that special. I think there's no doubt. There's no. I think he's still underrated. That's the thing. Like he's still underrated in the NBA. But but I think the uh, it, it's really the the visual stuff that I just enjoy with Nikola Jokic. He's he's huge. Uh, he doesn't move very well uh, compared to other NBA athletes. I think there are Steph Curry uh, comparisons there you can draw despite the fact that they're, one's really tall, one's on, on the shorter side. I think both guys are just – they do things a lot differently. Steph came in the league and won MVPs doing things a different way, right? He shot a bunch of threes. He was able to finish at the hole, and he was still underrated. I think Jokic's the same thing. Sam, I don't think this MVP changes the way that – people are going to say, like, I don't think most people are going to agree with you. I don't think people are going to say he's the second best offensive player in the league. And I don't think people are going to agree with you by saying, like, Steph is the greatest offensive player in the league. I think people will say he's the best shooter, but not the best offensive player, right? And I think, like, Jokic will forever, I think, be underrated in that Steph Curry realm because he doesn't look. Like, like he's seven feet tall and he's a center. He's not Shaq. You know, he's not Embiid. You know, he's not any of those guys that are back to the basket. Yeah, he's kind that, of, play he's, that way. He's kind of... He's soft looking. <laughs> I'm looking. Not soft. Yeah. yeah, yeah soft yeah, looking. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's all those things. By the way, we're we're talking about his passing and how he makes all um all these players playable. But I would throw into it just as important. He can score from everywhere on the court, and it doesn't really matter how you defend him. Like everyone's bragging about Ayton doing a great job on him in game one of the um Western Conference semifinals. And Aiton did guard him really well. Do you know what Jokic finished with in that game, Andy? Do you know? I do not. I do not. All right. Let me put it this way. This is what guarding Nikola Jokic well does. He goes 10 for 23. He turns it over four times. Yeah. I think Aiton did an excellent job on him. My point is the guy doesn't get shut down. The guy is just he, – he's – a far more complete offensive weapon than he gets credit for. He he's the only player to average 25, 10, and 5 for their career in the playoffs. And he's doing it on like 50, 40, 90 efficiency. Like you just can't really stop him from doing what he wants to. So with that said, Whoa, 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 one more thing, one more thing. He has the, right one down. of the what, one more thing. He has one of the ugliest shots I've ever seen. The one legged fadeaway shot that he takes is absolutely hideous. And he shoots it up into the ceiling. And then when it goes in, it's just it's ridiculous because it goes in. And it's all net because he's shooting it so high. So I love it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and I think it, that should be the trademark Jokic shot. <laughs> it's so ugly, but uh, but he is so good. He is so good and so fun to watch. Absolutely. So that's enough Jokic talk. That's not why you guys listen to this pod anyway. Um, the reason you do listen to this pod is Stephen Curry finished third in the MVP vote. And. I feel weird about it because I do think he played well enough to win the MVP, but also in, I can't advocate for someone to win an MVP on an eight seed also. Right. So right. I feel like third is proper context for what is basically like your 2006 Kobe type of season, where it's like, clearly this guy is the best player, but that team's just not good enough. And you know, we, we've spent a lot of time arguing over the mistakes the Warriors have made and the roster and what they're going to do next year. I want to spend a little time here kind of just appreciating what we saw this year from yeah. Stephen Curry. Yep. Yep. I agree with the voting, you know, whether he had finished second, third, you know, fourth, whatever it is, first, right, obviously. I Just end of the day, you got to win games. You got to be in the postseason um, for you to to win the MVP. And it's not his fault. But you know, if you were to blame someone, it's probably everyone else around him or the, or whoever, right? But if you life isn't back- life isn't fair. He's had yeah. some really good teams this year. He had a subpar team while he arguably played his best basketball. Kind of sucks, but it's just it just is the way it goes sometimes. Yep, yep. And we will uh, we will start with the we will uh, but we'll we'll do good vibes today, Sam. Good vibes. Yeah, I'm going to start the good vibes with a little bit of the of bad vibes though, because if people remember. The start to the season, Steph wasn't the Steph that we saw at the end of the season, right? right? The first four, five, ten games of the season, uh, he wasn't very good. Remember when he went four of 20 to start against Brooklyn and Milwaukee? Um, Scored 20 points and 19 points. Remember that to start the season? And uh, I I remember everyone had their seat. See, see, can't can't play without four All-Stars that that always that infuriated me because i was like come on guys are we really you really think this is a thing like there were people who believed that to their heart of hearts <laughs> to their core yeah, uh, yeah that, I think, that, no i was going to say that that's what it that's what the beginning of the season felt like that was the 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 really rough part of this and and you know what's crazy it didn't last very long you could say he still struggled against chicago detroit you go down the line there um but the thing about Steph is, I think sometimes the lows, you're thinking, all right, 6 for 17, 7 for 21, they're ugly. But just like that, I think the breakout game of the season was against Portland, right? I think that was the game where they lost the first game to Portland by like 30. Um, and I remember Ryan Hollins. You remember him. He was coming out there. Richard Jefferson was coming out right. and, and talking, right? And that was the game where Steph went for 62. Right? You remember that? That was kind of the the game where you're like, oh, okay, I think he's fine. <laughs> you yeah, know that, and that I, was and, the I re, and I remember this. That was the sixth game of the season, by the way. So just to provide some context to it, I he, Steph played four games, then broke his hand the previous year, and he didn't look too good in those four games. In the context of what right. we expect from Steph, and then he started this season kind of slow too. He looked terrible versus the good teams. He looked fine against awful teams like Chicago and Detroit. But at no point was were you feeling confident that like it's the Steph Curry you remember. And in my mind, all I remember thinking was, you guys are a little too trigger-happy here right now. A little too trigger-happy thinking, you know, you, you've got Steph figured out. Because I've watched Steph's entire career. He can go into lulls, and it usually takes him five to six games, and then he comes out of it. And lo and behold, that sixth game against Portland – I remember what I was doing during that game. I was sitting on the couch. Uh, I was a little anxious because they played Portland on Friday night and they got beaten horrendously. And then Steph comes out firing. And, I I mean, the shots he was hitting, and it's really been the theme of the season all year, but it's like 62 points in 36 minutes. I mean, he, he doubled up. CJ, or he, he combined for, he had right. more than Dame and CJ combined. And if you remember, Dame kind of took a little shot at him after right. the game on Friday night. Dame was like, right. yeah, it's different looks when you don't have all that talent around you. Right. And what happens the next game? Dame and CJ combined for 60 and Steph goes for 62. And I remember the look on their faces in the end of the third, or no, sorry, in the fourth quarter of that game. It was like that uh, incredulous smirk where you're just like, this dude, what can we do to get over on him? And that's what I remember. There's a very specific facial expression from both Dave and CJ. And so that was like the beginning of Steph's season for me. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you can always run the past back. And you remember the times where the Warriors beat up on Portland just the past five years, right? Whether it was with KD. Whether it was without KD, whether it was whomever, I don't. It doesn't matter. They would win. I, they've never lost a postseason series. KD is out. They play them in the Western Conference Finals. Nothing they can do about it, right? And it always comes back down to Steph Curry. And so that that really was the start of the season. I I agree with you. Um, and I think that what you just talked about it, it kind of made me think about that's just it. It was kind of the story of the entire season where people had a lot. To, stuff to say about Steph Curry and the players around him and what he could or couldn't do and by the time the season was over I, Sam, every single person, every single person had that look on their face where I was like well, we can't guard the guy and he's as great as he ever was, regardless of whether we win the game or not Steph Curry is amazing Yeah, and I think it's most noticeable in the fact when the Warriors got eliminated, I don't really think people were all that critical of Steph usually <laughs> when a team yeah. gets crit eliminated it's a referendum on their best player and personally I find it exhausting now Mm. these days like it's kind of tiresome but like when, when the Warriors lost to Memphis I figured it'd be bad but not at all so let's keep going through Steph's season here so you are right that first part of the season was rough we can rehash it like the Warriors had no clue what their identity was and Steph wasn't getting too much help from the coaching staff and the rotations. The part of the season where everything turned was when he uh, he fell on, you know, he fell on the what do you call it? Like steel stanchion area where fans sit. And we find out after the fact hairline fracture on the tailbone. And what happens uh, he misses a handful of games. We don't really know how severe it is. The Warriors obviously go on a losing spell because they can't generate offense without so Steph in the lineup. Steph comes back, plays 24 of the final 25 games. They win 16. They go 16 and 8, and Steph averages 37, six and five, shooting, making six and a half threes a game over those 24 games. Shot 49 percent from the field, 44 percent from three. from the line. I mean, I I really, he was not taking easy shots at all when he was doing this. He shot at a pace that if it was a regular NBA season, he could have hit 500 threes in a season. His unanimous MVP year, he hit 400. I just want to put that in perspective for you. 6.5 a game times 82 is 533. So just assume if he could, if he could keep that pace for a full season, which I don't know if it's humanly possible or advisable to anyone. <laughs> advisable. He could literally, he, he has the talent to hit 500 threes in an 80 game, 82 game season. And I think that's insane. Yep. Yeah. And I think we forget even before that, before that kind of run that he went on, I don't know if he was an NBA uh, MVP running, right? Like he had some great games against Dallas and Antonio, some games where he had 30, 40, 50 Denver, et cetera. But there wasn't a, there wasn't a, oh, Steph is in that MVP race. It was just more of a, oh, you know, they're kind of in the six seven eight seed there. And, uh, you know, the Warriors are kind of middling, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't until that run where you said, I, I, Sam, it was the Warriors went 0-5 or whatever. They lost by 50, to, to, to right? They lost by 50 without him, And then when Steph comes back, it all changes. They start beating Dallas. They start beating Utah, Memphis, some of these teams that are playoff teams. And uh, he looks fantastic, and part of that is Kelly Oubre gets hurt, and James Wiseman gets hurt, and the Warriors are suddenly forced into playing a small ball lineup. That, like, I don't, I don't, I hesitate to say like that's the lineup that fits Steph. I think it's just a lineup that lets Steph play basketball and doesn't hinder him. Like for me, it's with Steph Curry, it's just put a lineup out there that's decent. It doesn't have to be fit exactly to what he needs, right? The problem with James Wiseman and Kelly Oubre, and and it's less so on them, but it's just like those guys just they can't shoot they can't play the way like they can't defend right like it's tough so when those guys got the lineup it became a, a lot easier and the warriors were also chasing by that point a postseason seed right uh which i guess they technically got with the eight seed so um it was a, a fantastic ending and i think that was the run that people said well shoot he should be the mvp or he should at least be in the running for the mvp and i'm finishing third I think before that run, what would he have finished? Like maybe seventh, eighth, something yeah, he like that? He wouldn't have made the final battle. No. Right. So. No. Yeah. I, I think overall, Steph accomplished 99% of what he sought out, sought out to accomplish this year, which was remind people he's still that dude. And if you want to win a title, teaming with him is as good an option as there is in the league. I think 99% of the way he got there. I think his play justified it. And, you know, we'll see what happens in this offseason if the Warriors can spring some moves around the roster. But, like, for me, my big thing for this season when Clay went down was, I just want to see Steph get healthy and remind everyone how bad a dude he is. Like, that's my big thing. I want If you want the Warriors to win, it starts with Steph reminding everyone, I am one of the – there's only five or six guys in the league who are good enough to be the best player in a title team. And I'm one of them. I'm – you, you want to win a ring, you team up with me, you team up with KD, you team up with LeBron, et cetera, et cetera. You make, want, I need, I needed him to remind everyone he was still one of those dudes because I understand players at least wondering, you know, he's 32, 33, he's broke his hand, he's missed a lot of games. Is he still that dude or is that phase of his career over? So from a, from an individual and a team perspective, Steph accomplished the goals, third place in MVP, when you consider the roster he had around him, highly impressive, and I think he's done everything one anyone can ask to put the Warriors in position to put a roster to compete next year. Well, you you talk about roster that was put around him. I remember seeing a stat that came across uh, the timeline that said, "Hey, you know, there's only there's only really one other star in the league that had worse spacing in terms of the teammates around him in the NBA. That was Bradley Beal." Um, so it is, it's funny that those guys ended up one and two in scoring because they had to. Um, but the difference between Steph Curry and Bradley Beal is that the unreal efficiency that Steph scores it at, 42.1% from three, Bradley Beal shot under 35%. He was at 30, 349 from three. Like that is an incredible difference in terms of offensive efficiency between the two guys. And, and that, goes, that goes to show, in my opinion, if you're, looking at a, a, if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic next season, like Steph could be better he could be better than he was this season. Like nothing told me this season that he was slowing down. Um, If anything, it told me that he was as good as he ever was. Like I didn't watch him playing with saying, well, he can't get to the hole or he's not able to get by guys. Actually, it looked like this year. He was got, he got by guys easier than ever before. Right. And and, like that, that injury that he had was a fluke injury, right? He fell, he fell on his ass on, on, on steel. Like that's not like, it wasn't an ankle sprain. It wasn't a knee sprain, hips, right? not not that not that it really matters but like steel that's only there because no fans are sitting there that's like the funny that's the funniest part of it it's like um you're watching playoff games the area he fell on is where there's like the low courtside seats he would have fallen into like jack nicholson or guy fieri (laughs) or one of those like that's that's like the type of like he you know so it's it's, it, it's even funnier that that's the injury that did him because that's not an injury that should happen in a professional basketball game because that's an area where there are seats in any other season except for like this weird pandemic season. Yep, yep. No, it, should, wa- it should be good Steph season. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, before we open this to questions, I want to ask you one more thing, which was what was your favorite Steph Curry game or moment of the season um, outside of Portland? We discussed Portland. Give me one <sighs> uh, battle for the eighth seed against Memphis. It's recency bias. There's been, there were a lot of good games. Like you can talk about the thing about the regular season, about picking those games for me, it's, it's that uh, the regular season would have was just painful. Even the good games that he had, they were quickly washed away. This team. Remember they couldn't win more than a couple games at a time for a long time. Remember that? So I'm going to pick the Memphis game. Um, Dylan Brooks, he gave him the Dela Vadova treatment, right? I, I think he ran him around all game long, took over in the second half, uh, and then did his uh, Baron Davis impersonation, uh, hearkening back to the We Believe team. So I think that was my favorite moment, my favorite Steph Curry moment this season. Uh, and, and really, you know, without the play-in game, they'd be an eight seed, and they would have been playing Utah in the first round. But I, I think even beyond that, I think that tells me in a one-game playoff, that guy is just – he's the best player on the floor against Memphis and he was the best player on the floor against the LA Lakers the game after. So you watch those games and you're just like, man, like it's a shame that this guy wasn't in the postseason Sam, but come next season like he's going to be he's going to be just as good as again and that that shit's exciting. Yeah, definitely. I'm thinking I'm trying to think what my favorite is and there's a few candidates. I might go with the Philly game where he put 50 49, he could have had 50, but you know, he went for the win. Like it, it was one of those things where he just, he didn't go for like the extra, um, the extra bucket that he could have got just to get the statistical accomplishment. If you recall, they lost Saturday night in Boston on ABC two days before the Philly game. And that one hurt because Boston, they're a solid team, but they had not had a good year. And Steph went for 47 on Saturday night, and it looked like they were going to win, and they lost it mostly um, basically because Jason Tatum got really hot at the end. I think he might have had 42 on that same game. And I'm just sitting here going, man, they threw away an all-time Steph performance, 47 points in the garden, 15 for 27. He just could do whatever he wanted. And you know what? It didn't matter. The next night he comes out, sorry, two nights later in Philly, their next game, he comes out and he's like, guys, I got this. I can do this again. And they beat Philly by um, 11 points. Steph had 49 points, a little more of a controlled game, but it was just kind of, you know how usually when a star player has a huge game, but it's a loss, there's a letdown. That They didn't have that. That was my favorite one. When that happened, that's kind of when I was like, they're going to be okay. Because at no point does, like, Steph feel like he wasted a 47-point performance. He feels like he can get 47 every night, you know? Like, yep. he's just like, oh, man, we lost. Uh, we it, It's not like you or me where it's like, dude, I hit three threes. I never do that, you know? <laughs> like, right. that sort of thing. It's like, for him, he's like, yeah, this is what I do. I score 47 points on over 50% shooting from the field. I'll do it again tomorrow night.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: That was my favorite. I want to open this to questions. I want to ask you guys, what was your favorite Steph game of the season or overall thoughts? Ricky Garcia. Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? Hey, yeah, Ooh, you got some noise going in the on over background. there. Can you, uh, can you help oh. us out? Oh, um, that's the wind. I, get, I can't really control that. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just go quick. It's fine. Yeah. So
2: there was this NBC sports article that came out um, saying that the Warriors could have a hard time finding a spot for Jessup and that they would be better served uh, giving that spot to Mulder. So. I don't see the logic behind that because, you know, Jessup's a, a finalist for NBL Rookie of the Year. So, I mean, other than maybe, you know, Mulder having more familiar, familiarity with the system, like, could you kind of like dissect that for me?
1: I don't Absolutely. Ricky, we're going to take you off as speaker because that's too loud. Um, yeah. So I want to point this out. And, Andy, guess what Jessup shot in the NBL this year from three-point range? 46%. 36. Ah. Um, I think he could be a really good player. I think warrior fans could potentially be getting a little too hyped off of some good mixtapes they've seen on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Now I'm not saying he won't, he won't end up being a player and I'm not saying percentage is the be all tell all. He did have a good season. I think he was the highest scoring or second highest scoring rookie in Australia. My biggest takeaway from the games I watched in the NBL – and yes, I did watch games in the NBL because I have no life. Uh, he can play. He's objectively better than playing at that level of league. I just – by the way, now he's at 34% on three. That's even worse. I just do not think it's a guarantee he is ready to contribute. Like I feel like Warrior fans have this idea he's going to come over and be Joe Inglis. It's not a lock that that will happen. He's not a player you lock a roster spot to. We're not trying to do the smiling each thing again. Give him a shot. If he's ready, I'm happy because he does certain things that definitely are useful to an NBA team. If he's not ready, it's okay. Let him stay overseas. I would rather he stay overseas and get ready than uh, us lie to ourselves and then just be very angry watching a player who's not ready to play. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. But with that said, I mean, who knows? Like, I've watched a handful of NBL games, and I'm going off numbers and other stuff too. So he could come around. You know what? It's kind of funny. I was not expecting our first call-in as we're waxing poetic about Steph Curry's year to be about Justinian Jessup. But I have to say, I love the Lightyear's callers more than anything because of that. Because literally, who else is as excited and hyped about this team that – all they want to talk about is marginal moves the Warriors can make on the roster next year. That's what we'll be doing all offseason, too. So it just fits us perfectly. Absolutely. All right, we got another caller. And by the way, you guys hit the uh, hit the button if you want to speak. We'll get to, he, you, to you. We go in order. Chick, what's up, man? Oh, he's got AirPod issues. Yeah, you got you got to hit the you got to hit the change it up to to speaker. Apples- Apple's, uh Apple's trying to shut you down, get you to buy a new pair. You guys, we man. know how this works. Can you guys hear me? There we go. There we, we go. We can hear you. Go for it. Yeah, so I don't know if we've had the discussion about uh, what to do with our first round picks. But I've just been looking at the, the history of picks in the 14 or like 10 to 14 range. And
2: I mean, sometimes you get guys like Devin Booker, but most of it is just total garbage. So I don't know what, what you think the
0: best course of action with that pick is.
1: Hey, Shik, We appreciate it, and um, Godspeed to you with your uh, AirPod issues. <laughs> don't you, Andy? Don't you feel like uh, pretty much both picks? It's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a grab bag for the Warriors. It's like I'm I don't know. I'm just I'm watching the NBA playoffs, and yeah, you got you got like uh, Ben Simmons, who is the first overall pick, Embiid third, Trey Young fifth. But you, you got a lot of, um, you know, Giannis was a 15th pick. Kawhi was the 15th pick. Um, we're going to watch Utah. Was, was Donovan Mitchell the 12th or the 13th pick? He was one of those. He was right around there. Mikel um, Bridges was the 10th pick, and he's a great 3 yeah, yeah. guy. I, f- I feel like uh, – so you have a little more certainty with the top five picks. Like as rough as Wiseman's season was – I feel pretty certain he's going to be a starting caliber player. The question is if he's going to be a superstar or just a starter, right? Like, there's a little more certainty with those top picks, right? Yeah, Um, with that, like, with that, like six to fifteen range. Like, I don't know, man. It's it's about being a good scout because, like, Clay Thompson was the eleventh pick. There, can you really tell the difference between college Clay and Joe Harris and Kispert and a lot of other guys? It's like. And you know, it's, it's like, don't you ever, don't you ever, Corey Kispert. Hey, hey. (laughs) uh, you get what what I'm saying. It's it's like, uh, you, this is, I want to say where scouts make their money is in that range because like everyone looks roughly the same, but like the real talented scouts and development guys know how to figure out which one of that group is going to pop into. And I think the problem too is, look, if you're going to use both picks, I I could see the Warriors hitting one out of the park with one of them. Like you right. get a you get two shots at it. Like I could see it. The pro, like let's say they they end up with Scotty Barnes and 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 uh, Kisper, Kisper. Sure. yeah. Like one of them could be great. Like Kisper could we were aligned on that one. Kisper could end up being amazing. Scotty Barnes, bust because he can't shoot. Cool, but you still get one great player. That's all you can ask for. You just get one guy. The problem though is. It is hard to spend it on two guys when you've got a team like that. Now, if you told me it's the Golden State Cavaliers and and, and you're rebuilding, then sure, like two shots at it. Like, I'm I'm in for it. Yeah, you want as many shots of spot as possible. Give me, you give like me all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But to that point, it's almost like, well, they're going to trade one. Like, they're going to trade one. There's just – you can't not trade one. So that significantly reduces the shot at hitting with it. And at that point, then it becomes – It's just more Halliburton went 10, whatever he went at. He's going to be fantastic. Twelfth, he's going to be fantastic. He already Um, knows. He's already – you can pencil Halliburton in to be a productive NBA player for the next decade. Ten years. Ten years. Yeah, and and like he might make an all-star team or two in that span too. That is objectively a productive pick. So I don't know, man. It's it's tough. The only thing I'll push back on is I'd be okay with them keeping two rookies if they slim down, you know, you can't have two rookies, Wiseman, Nico Mannion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nico's got to Pol- go. Like a yeah. lot of – like you you can't all of a sudden have six development projects. Our issue is never like – you can always have a, a like two to three because you have a 15-man roster. You can't have like eight. That's the thing. You can't have like seven or eight and then be like surprised you're not competing. No. All right. Let's keep it running. Keep it moving. John. Yo, oh, what's up, guys?
2: Hey, I want to actually answer your darn question, which is <laughs> what's your what's your favorite Steph game of the year? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, I think I'm gonna land on the second Philly game where he dropped dropped that 49 and Bede was playing. I know we didn't have Simmons, so it made it a little easier on the offense, but you know, we just come off of a loss to Boston, and it really kind of lifted our spirits. Obviously, we then choked away the the whiz game thereafter but even that whole stretch within there where we had a, a couple different Denver wins really got you know me and others that were calling into this um pod in locker room you know going from the the dreps of like oh my god this team is awful we gotta trade everyone right and left to be like holy shit we're gonna make a run in the playoffs and I, those are my favorite stuff games the ones that turn all of us you know fans who are freaking out about the front office and everything and we just forget about everything and we just remember holy shit we are the most blessed freaking fan base we got three championships out of it and here we are complaining about you know big jim not being a superstar when we already got like the greatest guy we're probably ever going to see next to lebron in our lives
1: john that is a great call and i agree with you i feel like the same way it's not even that like it's not just that Steph is an all-time great player, although that's a lot of it. It's that he's like maybe the best show in basketball I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like speaking for myself, like Michael Jordan is kind of the beginning of my memory of NBA basketball, like the Jordan era. And Jordan's amazing. And, you know, like Iverson was one of my favorites. Kobe was amazing. A lot of these guys... I don't think any of them hold a candle to Steph Curry in terms of like showmanship in terms of when Steph is feeling it, it's like, you know, I I'll do the dishes later. I don't care what anyone else in my life is saying. I'm going to go and watch Steph because it's just, it's, it's like a religious experience. on. Yeah. Steph-
2: I, got, I got one for you, Sam. I grew up in Seattle. Um, and so I'm a nineties kid. So I had, peyton and Kemp, right? And anytime you got these alley oops flying in there, I mean, I saw it on the other end. Sorry for all the Warriors fans here who got you know the uh, double finger point. Shout uh, out to Lister. Uh... Oh yeah, absolutely. um And I was at a lot of games because my uncle had season tickets and whatnot, and, and those were always a blast. And you never knew, but then once things like that started happening, people would just lose their minds. You're like doing the robot in the stands, or just. People were freaking out, you know, just like you'd see in those Chappelle clips. And, and that's how Oracle felt when things started going with the we believe. And then when Steph started hitting threes and stuff, people, people, I remember because I had season tickets for the Warriors here looking around, people would literally lose their minds in the stands. And that's the thing that us fans here are a little upset about, about Chase. We wonder if we're going to get that feeling back. And I think as long as we have Steph, people are still going to be losing their minds because they can't believe he can make all these crazy-ass shots. I mean, it's really him and Lillard, and that's it. I got
1: I to gotta learn how to unmute myself. But, John, yes, I, I agree. I was going to say that um, Steph is the guy, not the, maybe not the one guy, but the guy that non-sports fans, non-basketball fans will watch. They will say, hey, I don't watch basketball. I don't watch anything, but I'm going to sit down here. I'm going to watch this dude just put on an absolute show. Uh, and it's just entertaining for anyone of all ages, all races, all genders, all ethnicities whatever it is, right? Like I think Steph is that guy more so than I, I I think anybody in my career in my lifetime. Like I didn't watch MJ, right? Like in my in my lifetime like that is the one guy across all sports. Like paint Manning wasn't this guy, like Tom Brady oh, awesome QB, not Messi this guy is like this. Messi. What's that? Messi Messi. yeah so i yeah i don't watch soccer right like I, I i take your word for it maybe sam help me out here maybe Messi's that guy but i but, think yeah. I, th- I think uh john's point stands where it's yeah. like you have to think broader than basketball to think of a player who yeah brings that level of imagination because that's the thing that steph really does it's like you you watch him do things that don't feel possible and it makes you like believe that anything is possible yeah how, is he, so Garnett, yelling, how is, is he possible? so good yelling anything is possible in the paint i just don't get it <laughs> yeah.
2: every layup it, like he should be and he's gotten stronger yes it's insane yes. you know it's the he's same gotten better he zigzags yeah. through people at the end of his career you're like how is he still doing that and it, you know and lebron's the same way people are just you know by all the, flabbergasted well flabbergasted about the stuff he does too lebron and is I, the same very, in yeah. category
1: yeah yeah, I think LeBron, I think there is as much as much it is fun to make fun of LeBron and he makes it easy to make fun of him. He is at the age that he has doing what he does. It is like it is incredible to watch. Is Messi still the best soccer player in the world or like top five? Is he still there? Is he still that good? Absolutely. Wow. How old is um, he? 34. He's oh. not that old. He's, right, maybe, hey, look at he's, he, he's getting there, but it's it's that same level of it's not just the the productivity like the clinical nature of it it's like it's the style and i feel like that's the thing with steph where it's like yeah like he's not the only player who hits impossible shots although he does hit them at a higher clip than anyone ever uh it's the feeling the the moment it's the flair. yeah it's it's i don't know man obviously we're a little biased around these parts uh it's gonna feel like a two decade hangover whenever he hangs oh. them off. That's all I know. I think I think one cool comp I had I just thought of it is I watched Zach Wilson and, and Justin Fields and Trey Lance during their pro days because that's all I did the last couple months, and uh, they did the same running to their left as right handed quarterbacks and throwing off the wrong foot. Right, they did that. They did that same throw, and to me, that throw is is Patrick Mahomes. Right, like to me, like Patrick Mahomes was was that uh creative and was that good uh to be able to do that throw and 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 was that fun to watch and so Patrick Mahomes is kind of like that Steph Curry to me and now you see like a generation of quarterbacks do the exact same thing that 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 uh that Patrick Mahomes is doing now everybody wants to do that same throw in their pro days and so that's what it feels like to me that's what Steph Curry's done for a lot of these guys that I think that are going to be playing basketball in the NBA the next 10 years yeah it's like I mean you know we're we're watching Trey Young in the playoffs pulling up from 30 plus, And that doesn't happen if Steph doesn't exist. No, nah, it, it's, nah. it's that same concept where like Steph just, it, I mean, we all know that he changed the game. He ruined the yeah. game. All right. Let's one last caller. And then we're going to call it a day. We appreciate y'all as always Antonio. What's up, man.
3: Hey, what's up y'all. Um, real quick, I want to say my, one of my favorite curry moments this year was the Miami game at home, like the Baysmore game where Curry was shooting terrible. But then they got it to overtime and he made some clutch shots and he was shooting terrible the whole game. But I don't know, at the end he had the ball and you just knew it was going to go in. So that was one of my favorite moments. Not I, I like
1: that. Sometimes that, that some, sometimes those are my favorite Steph games. Like the most famous one is the 2016 playoffs. His first game back versus Portland. Like he yeah. didn't hit a shot for like two quarters. And then in <laughs> OT, he sets a playoff record for overtime points. And, I mean, that's the thing that's just so beautiful about Steph. It's like, it doesn't matter if he's two for 18. Cause you feel just as terrified about the next one every time. And then once he, once he sees one go through, it can be an avalanche at any given time. There's no, like, at no point where you're like, Oh man, the defense hasn't figured out. Like, it's just like, all it takes is
3: one and he's good. Yeah. And the defense doesn't matter at that point. (laughs) But, uh, I was thinking that when you were talking about maybe the two-pick thing, it kind of reminded me just, I mean, because the Hawks were on it. It's like what they did a few years ago with Hunter and Reddish. or Reddish is a project that hasn't really worked out yet. But uh, Hunter, I mean, he, I already see him. He's going to be real, real good. I really would have – he would be a perfect fit on uh, this team. But if we uh, – I know uh, Andy is going to hate this, but say we used the, the fourth pick and we got, like, Suggs. And then, so, Sam, last time you said you, like – Wagner, say we got those two and they bring Jess up over. Um, what young guys would you keep? And then what young guys would you just be like, okay, um, you're on two way or you're just out of here. Like, how many would you keep in the rotation? And then if you could trade one of them, maybe. Cause yeah. Well, I, that's I a great, it, it's, a, it's yeah. a great
1: question, Antonio. Um, Schick says, oops, Schick says uh, Smiley, which is obviously the correct Yeah, answer. he's, I mean, okay. he's gone regardless, <laughs> I think of what happens. But I think if that's the case, I mean, You've got Jordan Poole there. You've got uh, Suggs as your backup guard. So Smiley's out. Uh, excuse me. So uh, Nico Mannion's out. Um, Jess upstairs, so Molder's out. You're really blocking that. All those guys are gone, right? And then uh, once Cono Anstron stays, obviously, he's he's fantastic. But he's not that young. Um, so uh, no yeah. no I mean, but I he's feel new, like he's kind of a vet yeah but he's kind of a new guy but like beyond that like yeah sure I mean that is that's a good scenario like like Suggs getting Suggs with the fourth pick is a fantastic Suggs scenario Suggs feels Suggs feels like a very safe rookie to at least be able to give you 15 minutes of good basketball yeah, and, so. and he's, he won't even go at four. Like the guy's going earlier, but like if if, the, mm. if that's the case, yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, like the fourth pick seems like it's not going to happen, but again, like just them getting that pick, I think is the best case scenario because then now you because it trade opens that up pick. options. Yeah. yeah, it opens up options. Um, it feels like it's a four player draft. So I thought it was uh, five. Now it's four. It's I thought it was five. Now it's four. So it's four now. Well, no, it's, I mean it's like right there, but I feel like there's a clear lot. No one – I don't know that anyone's taking Kuminga above at a – Over any of the other four. Yeah, Yeah, okay. it's it's like, okay, everyone knows Cade's going one, and then depending on your flavor, it's Green, Suggs, or Mobley. Sure. And they're all kind of like right there. And I can make a case for each of them, but like I understand if certain teams like Green the most or Mobley the most because like – You know who they, the Warriors would like the most. Yeah, obviously, Kispert. Um, <laughs> let's, get, let's get on. Oh, get out you of got it, let's get it. Out yeah, yeah. Out I mean, I do think, uh, I guess, like, Pascal's the one we're forgetting about. Um, and he had a very forgettable second year. But, like, I do think there's a chance All sure right. to have a bounce you're back right. campaign. But anyway, we, we get back to it. Like, the Warriors need to have, like, 10 veterans or something. They need to have 10 or so players where you're, like... Then the last four or five are young players. That's that's what I'm kind of hoping for next year. So, so anyway, anyway. Let, let's end it this way. Steph MVP third place uh, was the first place in our hearts, and really one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA this season. So uh, good news for Warriors fans, and good news for absolutely, absolutely. Appreciate you all. Be out in public.